have to always. Why does that one, yeah, why does that one always <laughs> land? Oh, I love it. I don't know why. It's well, like your version of Matthew McConaughey's "All right, all right, all right." <laughs> like he could say that over and over, and it would always hit so hard. Oh my goodness! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Patrick Podcast. Patrick Chappelle here, your host, your sage on the stage. No, your guide on the side. Oh my goodness. Uh, sage on the stage. Sage on the stage. You know, there was a whole thing in the education world that was like, don't be a sage on the stage. Be a guide on the side. Unreal. Unreal. Anyway, welcome back to the show. <laughs> uh, an appropriate reference for today's guest. We have Austin Church. Austin Church is a dear friend of mine. We were in university together. He works with entrepreneurs, with creatives. He is uh, he's does some beautiful work in consulting uh, creatives and, and really being an inspiration and motivation for so many folks within not only the Knoxville, Knoxville area, but all over. Austin is such a delight to talk to. He has such a fun and interesting journey that has led him to where he's at now. I cannot wait for you to hear from Austin. It is such a wonderful conversation. And we're going to talk for much longer. I, I, I'm glad that we, that we put a pin in it because we're going to do many more episodes in the future with Austin because he's such a wonderful guest. Uh, make sure to follow him in his work. And all of that, we'll probably put some of that in the show notes. But y'all, Austin Church is going to be a fun episode today. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. But before we get you to that, a couple things up top. Be on the lookout. We're only going to do a couple more new episodes this year before we take a holiday break and chill things out. So make sure you're tuning in to the next few because they should be a lot of fun. I'm not going to give anything away, but there are going to be some fun episodes coming up as we wrap up our year with the Patrick Podcast. And as always, thank you for the support. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to go check out our website. We have a website for the Patrick Podcast. And you should check it out. It's patrickpodcast.com. That's it patrickpodcast.com go check it out you can see the episodes and there's a neat section there called patrick's picks oh it's my picks i should probably do some new picks but the picks there are picks that i like so you should check them out i have book recommendation podcast recommendation uh, nashville spots in there music you know weezer's up on there top of the list but yeah you should definitely go and check out the patrick podcast uh website it is awesome and big shout out to matthew fungafat who helped build that website okay before we do that one more thing let's check in with ben ben what's up hey patrick uh i've got another holiday tip Ooh. Um, so i know that there are a lot of people out there that are gift wrapping experts and enthusiasts and this is gonna be a little hard to hear for them but wrapping presents creates a lot of waste um it's just a fact uh so (laughs) (laughs) unless you're unless you're wrapping us a ps5 (laughs) well yes but this even applies for that (laughs) so uh just just a, t- a few tips. Uh, number one, you know, reusing gift bags. I know they're not as classy and as uh, not as big of a gesture in showing the amount of work you put into a gift, but it is significantly better for the environment. Uh, second, wrapping in recycled materials, whether it's newspapers or, uh, you know, some of that brown construction paper type stuff you get in a package yeah, or, or whatever great. it is. Reusing stuff like that, or reusing old gift wrap paper. Uh, like my grandmother saves stuff all the time. She saves she saves all the ribbons, all things like that. And then lastly, there's other things out there like sustainable gift wraps, uh, gift wrapping papers like bamboo paper and things like that. Just use a, use a pillow. Be, use a pillowcase. 
Yeah, use a pillowcase. I used, I brought a gift out to uh, my now fiance at one point wrapped in a blanket. Yeah. Um, so that it was still a surprise, but we didn't waste any paper. Um, yeah, just, just try to be considerate. Try to uh, put in, change the effort in, the, in wrapping the paper with something beautiful and shift that effort into being considerate for the environment. And, you know, if somebody asks uh, why it looks different, uh, you can explain it to them. And I think no one will have an issue with what uh, you were trying to do. So um, just yeah. try to be considerate this year and uh, wrap in an eco-friendly way. Yeah, I, I love that. That is a wonderful suggestion. And I think that is great. We've got to be more environmentally conscious and really make our effort, do our part. You know, if you're not recycling, start recycling. If you're, if you're not watching how you use your water, watch how you use your water. And when all of these things, there's so many wonderful ways to be pro-environment. And people, this is, this is the planet that we're on. We got this one. So let's take care of the one that we're on. I love those ideas, Ben. Thank you yeah, for and sharing if you, that. If you can't, if you can't let, it, let it go and you can't change it up, then, you know, one thing that my mom has done a couple of times is she'll just put everything in one box and kind of create layers with tissue paper so that she's only wrapping one present. Right. That's right. uh, So, you know, just try to be creative, try to be considerate and uh, think outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that if you're, if you're buying gifts this holiday season, I would say, listen, the fact, I think people care more about the fact that you have spent time thinking about what to get them then sometimes how the thing has been wrapped or packaged. You're just excited and feel loved and honored when someone has been thoughtful enough to say, you know what, what does what does Ben want? What would he like to have? What would be a gift that shows him that I have been thinking about him and I'm trying to be thoughtful in my gift giving? So please uh, consider that. That's a good consideration. I like it. We're just here to throw suggestions to you. That's all we're doing. Okay. Enough of our uh, a little like little hot take. That was like a not even a hot take. That was just an appropriate take. <laughs> eco take. <laughs> eco take. It was an eco take. Okay. Here's Austin Church. Enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Peace. Austin Church. Patrick Chappelle, so good to see you. <laughs> Talk to you. Be we're, virtually near you. We're here. And in some ways, the closeness of our faces is probably closer than what we would actually be. You know, like, you know, like we can be pretty close digitally, like bringing the phone in. That's right. It would be awkward if we were at a coffee shop and our faces were about, I don't know, 13 <laughs> inches apart. <laughs> they were like, are, th- are those, is that, is that a business meeting or that, intimate meeting or friendships? Yeah, what is happening there? Those are like secrets. They're, they're telling, you know, secrets. They have to get real close. What do you think was the first secret ever told? Um... Oh man, the, I, that question really took me off guard. Because um, I mean, if if you believe that Adam and Eve Ooh, are yeah. literal, were yeah. literal people, um, that's a whole other conversation. But let's assume for a second they were literal people. Sure. Right? Yeah. I think one of the first secrets would be God saying to. Adam and Eve, um, how did you find out you're naked? And that's not a very good answer, actually. Because I mean, it, I mean, was it? What did he whisper it in an ear? Well, it's not a secret. It was apparent to them at right. that point. I think maybe the first big secret would be like, you guys really screwed up. Yeah, like you had a great thing, and I mean, some secrets you don't want to know, like. After you know them, what you wish you didn't know them because mm. there was a sort of happy oblivion before. And um, I'm sort of like after you pay taxes for the first time as a self-employed individual and you realize, oh, like 
my employer this whole mm-hmm. time was responsible for half my taxes. Yeah. And now I'm responsible for, for all, all of them. them. This is what freedom feels like. <laughs> yeah. Double and, the tax. Double the tax. Yeah. And I guess that is, that is interesting. Think about when people talk about, and, and, and for those that don't know, we'll get a little bit more to your background, but freelance and freelancing and, mm-hmm. and, and, and equipping freelancers is a lot of the work that you do is the big, big chunk of the work that you do. And I guess that's the thing is that everyone loves the idea of working for self mm-hmm. and doing it on your own. And it is beautiful. It's wonderful. But don't forget that with every choice, there comes a mixture of heavy heaviness and lightness. Like there's not, it's not all going to be gravy train. There's going to be a, struggle there's a struggle to be employed Mm -hmm. and have an employer and there's a struggle to do this thing and be on your own that is so true i was in charleston last november so november 2019 and heard this guy named tom i think it's bill you b-i-l-y-e-u anyway he said something that stuck with me the struggle not success is guaranteed Mm. So you'd better love your struggle, or my translation of that was pick a struggle you can love. Right. And I mean, I've done this freelance thing for 12 years now, and I've had those times, like going back to taxes, you I look at what I need to pay in taxes and I'm like, crap, I wonder if there are other options. Like, <laughs> a, nine, like a nine to five sounds really good when you're right. about to stroke a check to Uncle Sam, or as has been even more common for me you realize how much more you owe on top of what you've already paid and you don't just have that money sitting in your, right. you know, one of your mini bank accounts in the Grand Caymans, <laughs> right? Should I use the Swiss bank account, the Irish bank account, or the one in the Grand Caymans? But um, I've had those moments where I'm like, okay, time to reassess. I've, I've still gone back to freelancing or entrepreneurship sure. every time because – I think calling your own shots gets addictive and I do love the freedom and flexibility and the taxes suck, but there are trade-offs. That's like what you were saying. Yep. There are always trade-offs. There's always trade-offs. So that's, this is the world that you, that you, that you exist in this world of freelance and consulting and just, you know, and, and like you said, you know, you've, you've spoken at many, uh, of conferences and webinars and things of that nature. And I guess this all started when, you know, for a lot of folks, when you lost a job, right? This mm-hmm. is kind of what sent you on this, this path. So mm-hmm. what was, what was that moment like when, when you got brought into the office and you got told the news mm-hmm. and then what, how long did it take you to say, okay, I need to bounce back. I need to, I need to pivot. I need to mm-hmm. I need to move in a different way. So I think this speaks to my immaturity at the time. Sure. When I found out I was losing my job, I kid you not, one of the very first things that came to mind was at least I won't have to cut my hair. I, I was <laughs> I was I was growing my hair out at the time and the creative director at this marketing agency kept on saying you need to get your hair cut. It doesn't look good. And to his credit, it did not look good. Like he was a creative director. He knew what he was talking about. He was like, something about that composition is off, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this is April 2009. Um, in 2007 and 2008, it became apparent that the economy was in a recession. And then marketing budgets get slashed. It took a little bit of time for all that to trickle down. So April, 2009, I get called into my boss's office with another guy. He says, I'm sorry, going to have to let you go. He actually cried. And I wow. think that in a way, um, I felt more, even though I just lost my job, I felt valued on the way out because it wasn't this sort of perfunctory matter of fact, sayonara sucker right 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 right. it it moved him he was disturbed about it all and i remember waking up it happened on a friday so i got laid off on a friday and on monday morning you know it's like 
I guess my schedule's clear. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll get in my quiet time this morning for the first time in a while. But um, I, I, it's not like I pray on my knees a bunch, but I mm-hmm. got on my knees and could feel that sort of rising freak out. Like right. when, you know, it's sort of like the tide of anxiety is coming in. And yeah. You oh, up. yeah. And, um, and, I, and I just started praying and God said, and it was like clear as day. God said, I have given you the freedom to trust me. Mm. And I've always been a cheeky individual, as you know, sure, and I remember absolutely. thinking, well, isn't that rich? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, thanks for the freedom. <laughs> like, could you at least have given me like the freedom plus, I don't know, 20 K in a savings account? Yes, um, exactly. But I had, and this is another thing that is seared into my memory. It's like you have those, those pivotal moments in your life where you remember the oddest details mm-hmm. and it just shows how intense um, sort of like yeah. certain details are burned on the retina of your mind because of the intensity of that moment. Absolutely. And I checked my bank accounts and I had $486 to my name. Ooh. And I, I was like, Austin, you are an idiot. Like you have not saved, you have yeah. no job. Um, so it was interesting that, that God said, I've given you the freedom to trust me because I mean, I, it's a whole other story, but I would have been embarrassed at that point to go ask my parents for money. Mm. And, you know, could I have persuaded them? Maybe, but I just didn't want to. And this just goes to show um, how well we are taken care of. But I got a call from my boss that day. Wow. On the Monday? On the Monday. Wow. And he said what is your freelance rate? And I'm pretty sure I pull out my MacBook or whatever, whatever I had at the time. And I'm like, what is freelance? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's, it's funny you ask. I was just about to tell you my freelance rate, kind sir. And you're like Googling frantically. (laughs) But I need to use the restroom. And while I'm in the restroom, I'm going to be Googling (laughs) frantically. But I, um, it just, shows how little I knew. I was a literature major twice over. I thought I was going to be a college English professor. I got my master's thinking I was going to teach, but within the first couple of months, I was like, these aren't my people. You know, I loved loved to read. Yeah, what happened there, though? Um, I think I realized that um, teaching for many people is just a job, but there's no true passion. And like, I went to school, back to school, I should say, I taught high school English for a year, then took the GRE, got into grad school, moved to Knoxville, went, you know, entered the program. And I was there because I love to read, write, and teach. And I found out that you spend 10, 15% of your time as a professor reading, writing, and teaching. You spend most of your time on admin, traveling from point A to B. And with any job, with any business pursuit, like you should love the bulk of the work. You can't only love like the 5, 10, 15% that happens every once in a while. So Mm. as a teacher, I loved you know, when that one student would stay after class and have a really good question for me. And just like those mentoring opportunities and having relationships outside of class. I love that. Right. But you, but most of it was grading exceedingly crappy essays, (laughs) like essays that were so bad. I'm like, I secretly think you're trying to insult me. Like you put so (laughs) little effort into this. It's hard not to take it personally. You put no comma. You put no commas in this. Not It wasn't even a splice. It was a comma absence. (laughs) There were just some egregious comma absences, right? Um, And it was also just sobering to think, okay, these kids may have just sort of gotten pushed through some of their grammar classes, some of their English classes in middle school and high school. They need to be in remedial language classes. Right. I, you, especially some of the kids who I I genuinely liked, they were just, they lacked the basic skills. It's disheartening. And you know that you're, 
sending them into despondency when essay after essay, you're like, it was a generous C minus man. I don't know what to tell you. So I think after a while I thought if I teach again, I want to teach students who are really excited to show up. And you mentioned teaching other freelancers. I do a lot of that now. Yeah. Well, all those students are highly motivated. Yeah. You know, they're all business owners and it's like the rewards of getting better at business are pretty clear. So I never stopped loving teaching. I just realized the academic setting for me at a large state institution, Yeah, it's not a good fit right now. And I did kind of have an identity crisis the next year. So this is like, let's say later in 2009, I finished up grad school, 2008, got a job fall, 2008, got laid off April, 2009, enough time passed, however many months. And I realized, wait, I actually, I really like this like right. the marketing strategy, the, the game, like figuring it out. It's like a chess match. Okay. It's not just my next move, but what are the three moves after that? And mm-hmm. there was no place in my my sort of identity grid for the poet who is falling in love with business and never thought he would have a relationship with business. It was like, so this is confusing, which is interesting because that, that is so true is that I feel like those that find themselves in the path of English and literature and poetry, like look at those who are in the marketing and the business and the finance. And it's like, you all are missing the point of it all. So what was the misconception for you as you like stumbled into this world of marketing and and business? Like as this English mind heavy reader, you've like mm-hmm. you've you've read it all, you know it all, you know, like what was the mis- what was the thing you like, okay, I was secretly I may have to admit I was wrong about that. I had that wrong. I will I will tell you is something um it it wasn't it feels like a single conversation but it must have been multiple conversations around town I would run into my old colleagues people who had either finished a PhD or master's program mm-hmm. or were still in the program because they were coming in as I was on my way out and the question is always hey what are you working on are you doing any writing have you published any poems recently you know did you ever finish that short story? Right. And so I would talk to all of my colleagues, and most of them were not writing most of the time. Wow. And a light bulb came on for me. Wait, I'm the guy who's sort of out there hacking it in the business world. And there are all these sort of jokes about, you know, bastardizing my precious creative gift in service of almighty mammon. Like Mm -hmm. you are compromising your artistic integrity by making money with those creative skills. That's the narrative floating around. Mm -hmm. But then, like I said, the breakthrough was realizing, wait, but they're writing less than I am. They have less time inventory available to spend on fiction, to spend on creative nonfiction, to spend on poetry. So if you run a profitable business and if you're self-employed, your time is your own. Right. And if you want to spend more time working on your album, more time uh, on oil painting, more time on writing poetry, more time on whatever, you can do that. And so that the breakthrough was, wait a second – I'm writing, I'm spending more time than I ever have on my own creative projects because I'm freelancing. Right. It was a weird realization. Mm. That's good. That's good. So you you have this company now. Mm-hmm. And I loved, uh, I, I saw as I was, you know, thinking about our conversation today, you have this big goal that you have plastered on your site, which I thought was great. And it says to help a million freelancers make a hundred thousand dollars. How did you come to that goal? Like how did, why, why that, why, I mean that it, it does, it is communicated. Well, it sounds great, but you could have said any kind of numbers there, or you could have, you could have used any other kind of goal there. 
that could have, you know, essentially led to the same result, but that's sure. how you chose to communicate it. What? Well, it's, that's a, I mean, a perfect question based on what we just talked about. Right. I had all these friends who I knew were gifted writers and had something to say, had a creative contribution to make. And they only saw the one track. Oh, right. well, if you want to write, then you must go teach. Right. And business had opened my eyes to many other possibilities for earning a decent income, having more control over your time, being able to set your own schedule, pick your own hours, right? Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me over the years and then I'll tell you exactly when that goal came to me. But it occurred to me over the years that I'm like, wow, like a lot more of these fiction writers, if they were to like pick up, a, you know, a little bit of business acumen, would probably be able to make their books sell better. Like, and all these poets, if they were to like learn some of the rud rudimentary skills of copywriting, copywriting actually has a lot in common with poetry writing mm. where there's some poetry in copywriting. There's some uh, music in it and right. you can get paid really well and it can actually be a lot of fun too. So, huh? So I, I realized that or I didn't realize, I'll just say I became passionate about helping all of my people. My people are like creatives. My right. people are not necessarily um, like crusty old professors, <laughs> right? right? Some of whom were actually writers, um, but I love people who like to make things because mm. I like to make things. And a lot of people who like to make things have less time to make things because we're all trying to figure out how to pay our bills. Right. And so when I thought, well, how do I scale up my own positive impact during my short number of years on this planet? Um, it occurred to me that helping hook up people who like to make things with a little bit of business acumen, teaching them to work on their businesses, not just in it, teaching them the right principles, the right processes, the right playbooks that I've developed over the past 12, 13 years. Like you try all these things, some of them work, some of them don't. And over time, you notice patterns and you stop, you just stop doing the things that don't work. And sure enough, can create a virtuous cycle. So all this was kind of gestating in me. It was September 2017. I was at Tribe Conference, which is at the factory in Franklin, oh, hosted nice. by a guy named Jeff Goins. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even know this person well, but I, I don't even remember the person's name. I just remember somebody I did not know asked me the question, do you have a big, hairy, audacious goal? And I blurted out, I want to help a million creative people make $100,000. And it was, I was like, where did that come from like <laughs> it wasn't i had never written it right, down right, before right, right. i hadn't said that to my wife megan i hadn't said that to a friend it it came out of nowhere and then it was just hanging there in the air and i had just said it to a complete stranger and i thought wait a second i think that's actually true i think that actually came out of my heart right and it was just a very strange way for me to realize that this is something I cared about. And ever since, I've been trying to figure out what the platform or structure would be for actually achieving that goal. And that was the impetus behind creating an online course, because as much as I love coaching creatives and consultants and people who like to make stuff, as much as I love coaching them one-on-one, -on -one, that's just not nearly as scalable as saying, well, here's the course. Right. You know, here are the six modules. Go work your way through the content. Here's like the curriculum to help you get through the content. And I promise you, if you'll put this stuff in action, you're going to see results. Right. And um, one other sort of caveat, most of the people I know who love to make stuff, mm. if they had extra money, 
have the coolest things they want to do with the extra money. Absolutely. Very few of them are like, oh, it's finally time for my private jet. You know, it's, <laughs> it's I want to adopt. Yeah. Or I want to pay off my parents' house. Yeah. Or I want to take my grandmother to see her sister in Japan. Like it is like the 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 money equals something that is so beautiful and mm-hmm. oftentimes selfless. Yeah. And so when I thought, okay, well, how can I do more good in the world than like helping creative people make more money has an indirect impact because all of those creative people, once they have the money, most of them want to do good with it. It's not just going to sit, you know, gather rust in a bank account. And even if it did, that's fine. Right. It's nice to not have to live paycheck to paycheck. So, um, that's how it all kind of came together. And then I was like, okay, do I actually tell anyone about this? Like, do I, <laughs> do I keep this to myself? Yeah. You know? But um, I haven't, and I'm glad I haven't, because now that it's out there, I have to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I guess, like, one of the things that you were saying as you were kind of walking us through that that story to to this kind of uh, tagline, mission statement, mission statement, vision, whatever the word you want to use for it, right? I mean, there's you could get at it at a, at a lot of different ways. But you were talking about, learning from the mistakes and mm. stop doing and stopping doing stop doing the things that didn't work mm-hmm. and and moving on to something else but what we see and you and I know you've seen this whether it's in individuals or within institutions of mm-hmm. all types that people and uh, people and institutions struggle with a learning from mistakes mm-hmm. b stopping the things that just that don't, don't work. work. Mm-hmm. So why, as you have set in front of many types of folk, why do you think that's so hard for people to do those things? I think there's a lot of emotional junk piled on top. Like I think people are, are afraid of change. I don't, I don't actually know that people are as afraid of change as they think. Uh, it's a, I think her name is Marianne Williams. Um, she talks about how uh, we play small because of how big we really are. Mm. And um, so I think a lot of people are uh, afraid to change because they may get a taste of what they're truly capable of. And, um, but when I when I sit in front of people and like why haven't they changed? It just usually comes down to limiting beliefs, yeah. and um, I mean most of them are I'm I'm not enough something. Um, I'm not smart enough. Right. I'm not young enough. Yeah. I'm not educated enough. I'm not networked enough. And another one might be well. I need to get more experience. Right. I need to get more projects in my portfolio. And you know, I've done enough coaching now that I have to kind of hide my smile because when people are saying these things, they're saying them like adamantly. And I'm like, hide my smile because I'm like, someone said that verbatim to me like three hours ago. <laughs> this is not unique to you. Right. You know? Yeah, that's right. And that's he- right. here's a big one. It happened earlier this week. Yeah. I'm just so busy with the work itself. I don't have time for marketing. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like I do. And I'm just as busy as you are. So figure it out. Yeah. Like you have figured out and that, that is, um, I love helping people move past limiting beliefs. I've had help people help me move past limiting beliefs, yeah, right? Yeah. So it is just a joy and a privilege to say, Patrick, somebody out there with a third as much as your talent is making 10 times as much as you yeah. doing the exact same work. Why not you? Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially if we're talking about creative work, I'm like, look around you. We are afloat in a sea of crappy creative. 
So <laughs> do you think you can do better than that billboard right. or that commercial? You've yeah. got a job. Yeah. And um and it's it's true with money. Like I'm just not good at business or I'm just not good at managing money. And I'm like, okay, you figured out how to drive a car. <laughs> Figure out the mechanics of money. Yeah. Right. And so to just help people switch and switch to realizing like most things are figure outable, yeah. right? Yeah. And then a big thing in me, and I won't say that this is true of a lot of people, but I think it is true of a lot of people in the United States. Um, I think I expected life to be easy. And I think when um, I discovered that something was harder than I expected, I thought I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. It's like, actually, life is hard. Yes. Everybody else gets that. Like, and life... Well, and that's what this year's taught us, too. It's, I think it's caught everybody up to the reality that life is hard. Life is hard. And so you, you're, you're stripped of conveniences and you're, you're, you're stripped of narratives that you use to blind yourself. And certainly now, I think... I personally have been exposed to the narratives of a lot of people and I had no idea mm. how much it's like, I thought it was hard for me. Well, at least I got to start at the 40 yard line. What about people who were starting at the negative 40 yard line? Right. Who and they're even, not, who didn't even make the bus who didn't, the bus, right. the bus broke down to even get to the field. That's right. And here I am like complaining and wallowing in a pool of self pity I have found a lot of people. There is a woman I follow on Instagram who inspires me. Her name is Melissa Blake. All right, Melissa Blake. Okay. And the way that she responds to trolls is just magic. And I've realized, like, I have been really sensitive, too sensitive. And anyway, I think helping people reconnect with a sense of passion and responsibility can shake us out of this addiction to convenience and comfort and help us realize that there's a bigger, more moral obligation to serve others. And if you silence yourself and if you don't learn some work ethic, right. then you're denying other people the positive change and transformation that your presence and your story could bring to their lives. Yeah. And here's what's true too. And what I've noticed in myself and in others, as it, as it relates to create being, you know, the, the creative work that's out there, freelancing work that's out there, doing these other p passion projects that, that can potentially become the main project, right? Is that some people, it is, they, they, um, they essentially are, are, um, they just love talking about it. Mm -hmm. They just love talking about, the idea that they have. And I have this. Regurgitating it over yeah, and over. And me going to coffee with yet another friend to tell that friend about this amazing idea that I have for a book, for a company, for a, uh, uh, any kind of effort, for the album. But the I start up. The startup, the app. A podcast. And every, and, and podcast, and every hour you spend doing that could have been an hour that you could have been in the actual lab metaphorically speaking, right, creating mm -hmm. the thing, right? And so, it's, yeah. You know what it came down to for me? What's that? Accepting myself and my situation. Oh. I got, I've got all these flaws. Yeah. I've got weaknesses. And I was telling you earlier, mm. I was fine being on a stage, fine with a micro, microphone in my hand in my early 20s. Right. I get stage fright now and I'm like, maybe that's because I'm just aware that there are so many people more qualified than I am. And yet my story can help people. And I've heard it put this way. Your mess is your message. Oh yeah. Right. That's good. Um, but I realized that if you accept yourself and you can love yourself with all of your incredible weaknesses and strengths, the only thing left to do is get to work. Yeah. 
And the only thing left to do is, you know, drop the next one hour deposit in the future life piggy bank. And it's not glamorous. No one gives you a pat on the back when, you know, you write another 1,230 words of uh, crappy dialogue for your novel, right? <laughs> like, but it goes back to pick a struggle you can love. Yeah, and and good. so I think if you reconnect with this idea that we're in this together and we need one another, and if we get too insular and we get too closed off, life just loses its richness. And not only that, okay, so Austin succeeds. Austin accomplishes everything he ever wanted. And then he looks around. I want everybody else to be there with me. Yeah. Like adventures are meant to be shared, right? And so thinking like, all right, how do I empower other people? How do I set other people free? And I do not have that figured out. I do know that the reason many people don't start and they just talk about their ideas all the time is I think fundamentally they haven't accepted themselves yet. Mm. And I could be wrong about sure. that. I'm sure there are exceptions, but accept yourself in your situation. And then if, if all you do is put in one hour each day, you will get there eventually. It's inevitable. Right. So why don't more people take action? Um, I think because we're looking for silver bullets and easy fixes. And meanwhile, we're just battling all these limiting beliefs. And so I'd say start with accepting yourself. Yeah. And one hour minimum viable progress every day. Yeah. So um, you live in Knoxville right now. I do. But you grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. I still love Nashville. <laughs> yeah. So what... Um, I, I would love to just hear kind of like as you now, you know, you look back at Nashville living in this new city, kind of like what, what do you think were some of the, you know, a couple of the lessons you learned in this early, you know, childhood and even teen and, and even your college years was spent in Nashville. Like what were the lessons that you still look back on as you continue to do this work that you're doing in the city of Knoxville? with your wife and your two kids, two kids, right? Mm, three. Three. Oh my goodness. You have three Outnumbered. kids. I know. Yeah. You're playing They're, zone now. They are spirited. You're not allowed to speak <laughs> about your, your children in a derogatory manner. And so you find words like, yeah, our kids are great. They're just a lot. Of, they're, they're quite spirited. <laughs> <laughs> They're so spirited, you know. So, I'm going to start saying that about adults too. Yeah. What do you think about that client that you didn't end up working with? He was just spirited. He was spirited. spirited. <laughs> People are like, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's a very evasive word. Right? <laughs> but um, to answer your question, like when I look back on my time in Nashville and how that kind of set me up, there were a lot of people who poured love into me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe none of us is deserving, and right? Maybe all of us is deserving simultaneously. But there were a lot of people who just cared for me. Right. That was everybody from a family. I reconnected with them recently who um, hired me in the summers to work their fireworks tent during late June and early July, right? Yeah. I learned a little something about sales. I actually sold a boatload of fireworks to DC Talk, the band, <laughs> one time. <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. That was one of my childhood accomplishments. Right. right. But um, so I learned that. I I was just around a lot of like truly kind people. Flawed, of course, right? And because my family had been in Nashville so long, I could it seemed like I could never get away with anything. Right. You know, my parents would take me aside. They're like, we heard that you thought about <laughs> going down to dancing in the district. Please don't break our trust. And I'm like, but I, didn't, I didn't, but I didn't go. I didn't go. But, I just thought about but, it. <laughs> but you, you intended to. And we're like, what? <laughs> so, um, you know, all the kindness. And then um, I think about what it's like to be planted 
in a place for so long. And it was actually in uh, Dr. Lee Camp's, one of his classes I took in college, he said something interesting that sociologists would tell you it takes five years to put down roots in a place. Right. I was in Nashville, I guess, till I was 25 or 26. So I was deeply rooted. And I think being rooted matters a lot because I think a lot of our joy comes from serving and comes from giving back, not from always just thinking about ourselves. But I think often um, there's actually a documentary, I think it's called happy or happiness on Netflix, but they kind of dive into the mechanics of happiness. And it's like, sure enough, people who have a great deal of purpose in their lives because they're serving others. um, I just was convicted by that and realized that, we need people to be committed to a place to its prospering, you know, when it prospers, so will we. And so I just saw a lot of people in Nashville who loved Nashville and who poured into the people and who poured into the place. A lot of, um, a lot of change happened while I was there and a lot of change happened to me, but like, the city I love still. Like, I think a lot of people leave their hometown and are like, good riddance. Sure. I still miss it. Yeah. Like, I would love to spend more time with you. <laughs> and I think about like so many of my people in Nashville that I'm like, ah. Oh. So sometimes I still feel like my heart is divided, but lessons, man, I need to pay it forward. Right. L- love people the way I was loved. Um, There's just a long legacy of faith, both in my family and in the communities I was a part of. When Megan and I got married, people I had not seen in years showed up to a few like wedding showers in Nashville and just lavished gifts on us. And I thought, huh, Mm. you don't get that if you're flaky. Yeah, like that's right. What what is the gift of generations being committed to a place? You yeah. know, and so I was just the recipient of a lot of generosity too. And and now, like when I think about okay, who do I want to be? I want to be loving, and I want to be rooted, and I want to be generous, yeah. and I want to see my positive impact on a place. Yeah. And um, I heard John C. Perkins speak one time and he said, find a kid and dream your dreams in him. Mm, that's and so good. I was like, Boom. so good. <laughs> so I have three kids and I'm like, but you know, I'll dream my dreams in them. And that sure, just means absolutely. make them do what I want, which is actually <laughs> impossible. That's something right. they don't tell you, but you can't make, children do anything well yeah and um, and i mean and, and the the example should be you like the example that that is like you can't control and make this kid whatever you want this kid to be is yourself um, that's is right. literally yourself did it work with did me? it work like, with no, you no i hated it <laughs> no oh you want to control me we're gonna see how that works yeah okay yeah when i take your car and i steal pumpkins <laughs> from a church and demolish mailboxes yes purely hypothetical that's yeah this, you know you know <laughs> hypothetical these are only <laughs> anecdotes you know <laughs> but i just maybe you know to run with the perkins quote like maybe pick a place and dream your dreams in it too i, I think right. a lot of us have a consumeristic attitude toward the community we live in. What can you give me? What can you offer me? And I just think life is better when you're walking down the sidewalk and you take ownership of the place and you're like, I'm going to pick up the trash. Yeah. I'm, I, if I'm going to be here, I need to make, um, make my deposits of goodwill and generosity here. And um, I've just had many, many, many fine examples of coaches and teachers and uh, the parents of my friends, you know, who just, maybe it truly does take a village to rear a child. That's right. And uh, I just feel very grateful that um, a lot of people, made my um protected me from a lot of bad that could have happened 
Yeah. You know, and now that I have kids of my own, you realize just how many, just how little control you actually have, and you yeah. want to protect them more yeah. than you can. So, and I, I don't know I, if yeah. it really answered. No, your that's great. I think that's great because it's true that you you need to you know break free of this consumeristic mindset wherever wherever you're listening from and wherever you're and wherever you're at locationally is like like exactly what you're saying is how do I how do I pour into uh, this this city this neighborhood that I'm in. Um, how do I, how do I do that? Because I do, I do agree with you that like rootedness is doing that. And it's also because what we see so much in culture now is not only this consumeristic, you know, approach to it, but it's also this a la carte. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I put together, I kind of cobbled together this a la carte of a, an experience within a community instead of like really digging deep and saying, I'm going to be nested into this community into mm-hmm. this place into this organization instead mm-hmm. of just like kind of like allocating our our life experience you know mm-hmm. and just bouncing from this thing to that thing only occasion and then no one knows where you're connected to and, and tethered to and so then when you do make the exit or when a life a big life thing does happen do, does do you get that you know surrounding support Mm-hmm. If you if you've just lived life as a la carte and consumeristic, you know. So honoring people and honoring places is rarely convenient the yeah. way we want it to be. Right. I mean, and you you and I, when we have seen each other, it has been at weddings and it has been at other sort of shindigs. In all of those events, we could have said, I just can't make it happen. Like right. my calendar's full. That's and right. so and even like when I think about trying to do something good in your community or trying to do something good in at your job or um, even like in a family, it's like it's inconvenient to do really anything with a child, right? <laughs> like, like it's so funny. Like when I go shopping with one of the kids, like half the time they want to quote unquote push the the shopping oh, cart, sure. but really that means hold on, and then they just like let me drag them. Yep. And you see all these other parents and grandparents who just laugh because they're like, "What's it like having a helper there?" I'm like, "I'm gonna be here two or three times longer than I need to be." So like half the time, like it's just inconvenient to care. Yeah, and it's really easy to uh, villain, vilify a person or a place if you assume you're not going to be in relationship with right. a person or a place, yeah. right? And so it's just not ever going to be convenient. But Megan makes fun of me. I often, before making decisions, will ask myself, she thinks this is weird. <laughs> okay. Sure. But what story do I want to be able to tell after the fact? Yeah. And so like when it comes to places and people, I'm like, I would just love to believe that my friends in the places I've lived were better for my having been there. Yeah. I don't think that's always been true. I've <laughs> <laughs> talked to some of the girls I dated in college. Hey, boy. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. Whole yeah, other. whole another segment. Yeah. Okay, let's. Uh, we could talk forever, and there's so much I actually wanted to to mention, but we need to uh, we need to get to this um, this last round of questions. I'm so ready. let's do this, and then I have a feeling, folks, that uh, oh, Austin Church may be back on this podcast sooner than later. So yeah, much, many, many, many more things to talk about. But let's do this, and we will uh, see where it takes us as we uh, come to an end here. So the first question is, what's something people seem to misunderstand about you? I think I often come across as critical or judgmental, and it comes back to like a really deep desire to make things better. And because of my wiring, I'm usually will see the thing that I think is wrong and sometimes need to like fight a little bit more, or push a little bit harder to also call out the things that are right. And so I think I've probably hurt people by being critical when really I was trying to help. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, a few of your favorite quotes. 
Oh man, um, Tolstoy. <laughs> this is all the way back from high, all the way back in high school. Um, B. No, no. He said, "Every man thinks to change the world, and no man thinks to change himself." Ooh, child. Um, and then shoo. That's good. Uh, what's another one? Um, I'm just gonna let that one stand. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Albums everyone should listen to. Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. It is so weird, but I love it. <laughs> you know, Death Cab's doing a cover. I don't know which song no. they're. I don't know which song they're doing, but I know they're doing a cover of a. I think it's a of a Natural Milk Hotel song. No, and it may be awesome. out. It may be out today. I think. Awesome, but that that album really rocked me back in the day. I did not like it the first time I heard it. Um, but then it hit me just right one time when I was in Idaho and it just, it seems to capture some of the, the sadness in life in a way that's hard to articulate even without music. Yeah. Any other ones? I mean, a lot of my albums are from very specific times of life, right? Do you remember the name of the third eye blind album that was like eighth, ninth grade? I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but that was like my jam and I would light some incense and feel sorry for myself. <laughs> and so that one would have to be up there. And then it, the time is right right now, but the Sufjan Stevens Christmas album. Oh yeah. Those are, good. are just, he has some originals in there that are gorgeous. And I just, I can't, I look forward to Christmas in part because I get to start playing those albums again. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, I guess with that, with the, um, I was trying to, with, well, with the third eye blind, it could be self-titled, which was in 97 or blue, which is in 99, both, both in iconic albums. The 97 album is the one that had like semi-charm kind of uh, semi-charm life graduate. One. Yeah. Jumper. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so melancholy. Yeah. I didn't know that I could like wear eyeshadow or eyeliner and really enhance the effect, but I wish I had known that so that I could really do it the emo way. So the the to 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 update everybody, the Death Cap for Cutie, the uh EP is going to be called the Georgia EP. It's uh, all these bands are have Georgia connections, of course. But you have Waterfalls by TLC. No, the king, yeah. the king of carrot flowers, part one. Natural. That's Milk from Hotel. that album. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Fall on me by REM. Uh, flirted with you all my life. Uh, Fitz, uh, chestnut. <coughs> Excuse me, and then metal heart by Cat Power. That so, sounds like fun. It's gonna be a good EP. I'm excited for it. Okay. <laughs> Little, little, like, little dip in there. Okay. Oh, one or two books everyone should read. Essentialism Changed My Life and Give and Take by, and that's, um, oh gosh, how did I just blank on the author? Greg McCown. Okay. Um, and then uh, the Give and Take. It's called Give and Take, and it's by Adam Grant. And both of those just really reframed. Um, how I was showing up. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. Okay, if you, I guess uh, we'll have to do a, a Knoxville edition. If you had to leave Knoxville today, never to return, what would be one or two, what would be some spots you would have to go to before, or things you would have to do before you left town? Oh, wow. Um, I'd probably get some smoked brisket at Archer's and their loaded potato salad. Ooh, that sounds so good. I would go, I would go get a morning bun and black coffee from wild love. They make their own, uh, pastries and they make croissant dough. It like takes them three days. It's like the traditional French method and they're just ridiculous. Um, can I name a Nashville one? Like Absolutely. Every, every time I'm in Nashville, I don't feel right in myself if I don't hit up McDougal's and Mac just Dougals. Holla crush some buffalo chicken tenders and just feel 
disgusted with myself and oh, yet very pleased yes. right afterwards. McDougal's <laughs> is such such a good spot. It's such <laughs> it a good spot. Forget about I'm the a- yeah, forget about natural hot chicken. I mean, it's good. It's good. Don't get me wrong. But, but they've got to be a little bit confused because they it was Prince's and in yep. a few oh, other yeah. spots like McDougal's that yeah. predated yes. Hattie B's everything else. And yes, I remember when hot chick like Nashville hot chicken became a thing. I'm like, those of us who are native Nashvilleians are a little. We're like, are you sure? <laughs> like Nashville, Indiana, because like I grew, I grew up here and it should be called like Prince's Hot Chicken because that right. was the original exactly. on Dickerson Road exactly. and that place R.I.P. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But anyway, McDougal's. McDougal's. Okay. Uh, if you had to go on a road trip and you could take and you had to take three people with you, dead or alive, who who would you pick? Who would be in the car with you? This is going to sound so sanctimonious, but I really <laughs> want to go on a road trip with Jesus. Yeah. Like, I, I think he's the smartest person that ever lived, and he just had a way of making people um, squirm, and then once you were just sort of broken, then the way he help people love themselves yeah. is just captivating to me still. Yeah. That's and good. so Jesus, and then um, if I'm having a conversation with Jesus, I want Hunter Harris to be there. <laughs> Let's go. We, we met when we were four years old at the now disappeared HG Hills grocery store in uh, Brentwood. And Oh my God. I've forgotten all about that place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, that was old school grocery stores, but we've been best friends since we were thir- four years old. So here we are, 34 years of friendship later. And then I'd want Megan there because, you know, sometimes it's hard to talk about experiences afterwards. Um, honestly, I'd like a bus because then I could get <laughs> like everybody I wanted on my bus because yeah. um, there'd need to be a lot of people from different seasons of life. Uh, yeah. Just so many names come to mind. But. Well, yeah, and what's true, too, is there's something beautiful about traveling alone. I won't, I, I won't deny it. Like, it's something mm-hmm. great about it. But what's also true is that um, who you're going on a trip with really does matter because then each of you remember something different from the trip. It's, and so you get this mosaic or like right. a stained glass window. Memory. Right. And I also think that when you're traveling with other people, um, you can experience things vicariously. Like I went to New York one time with a guy who'd never been to New York. His name was Joe. And it was a lot of fun to see him take in a city that large. And it's kind of like watching Pixar movies with kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just like, it sets off or it highlights. C.S. Lewis has um, an essay called Friendship. And he talks Mm. about how um, when a friend sort of moves away or leaves the group of friends doesn't just, you know, I don't just lose my relationship with Patrick. I also lose Justin Wright's relationship with Patrick. That's right. Because there was this whole sort of like melting pot of layered relationships. But anyway, now I'm waxing poetic. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. No, that's, that's a wonderful uh, essay. And there's so many great points in there. Um, So last question. What do you think is one of the keys to a good life? Simplicity. Yeah. I think the less stuff you have to manage um, and the more time you spend on things that are slower or, or simpler. I mean, I think the pandemic, if it's done nothing, has... I love my wife's laugh. Yeah. You know, I like playing Uno with my daughter. I like roughhousing with my boys. I like conversations like this. I like, I got to go on a ride with my dad recently. Um, I like just, my mom's parents are still living. I'm just seeing them. And I think, you know, it's funny. Half the time, you know, you'd give all of your Instagram followers or whatever for just you know, 
one more conversation with that one loved one. And yeah, so absolutely. Uh, this simple pleasures, simplicity in my mind are, you know, fill up most of the, the good life bucket. Right. Awesome. Thank you. It was a joy. It was Thanks a joy. For the opportunity. All right. We'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Thank you.